Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show goes where you go to have those mastermind encounters and inspiring moments. Where is it that you encounter somebody with whom you have a conversation that gives you that aha moment that moves you closer to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion? What's going on in the background? Do you hear a bird chirping, a fan blowing, ambient noise from the next table, a car driving by? These are the real places where the real change happens. And in alignment with my laptop lifestyle, the Business Creators Radio Show goes with me. Today, I am coming to you from my high-tech studio on my sumptuous balcony here in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some, at least me, as the hottest city in America. And what we are going to discuss is something that is actually parallel to something near and dear to my heart about why true success is about how often you lose. See, here's the thing. True success is not often about how often you win, but how often you lose. So when you have strategies that will help you overcome rejection from those potential clients and business partners, particularly when you're first entering the growth phase or where you're at that critical mass point where you need the funding to move forward and you need forward to get the move forward to get the funding, you reach that, that little ox and horse cart thing that happens to all of us. And then also how to make your marketing strategy useful and valuable for potential clients rather than simply self-promoting. So we're going to get into mindset, prospecting, and promotion. And to take us down this path, we have Simon Chan. He is a consistency coach and founder of MLM Nation, which is a business training company. He has a story that he's about to tell you. I can just tell you that he began his entrepreneurial career in the year 2003, same as I did. And over the past 20 years, he's built a multi-million dollar business with over 200,000 distributors. He's the host of the MLM Nation podcast, which is number one in the field of direct selling. And you can discover more about Simon at his website, www.consistencypill.com. This I cannot wait to check out. With that, Simon Chan, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, Adam, thank you for having me on. It's an honor. Actually, I think I'm the one that's honored. In fact, I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here in your presence, given all you've accomplished. And this is my show. So what I want to do here is I want to go beyond the bio. I read a piece of your official bio. What we like to do is hear from the guests in their own words, a bit about your journey, about what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators 
from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion? Sure. Um, first of all, I have a lot of respect for you. You're a podcaster, and you said that Las Vegas is one of the hottest city in America. So how do you do a podcast? I and mean, I do podcasts, and I get hot too, right? How do you heck do you do a podcast in a balcony in Las Vegas? You have air, air conditioning in your balcony? I have a Mr. Fan and lots of home-brewed iced tea. Hey, I got to try that. That's that's amazing. That's really cool. Uh but my background, yeah, I started, um, you know, I had a job that I liked. It was low paying and I was born and raised to like, you know, you go to school, you work hard, get a good job and you slowly move up the corporate ladder. And um, I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Friend of, friend of mine recommended me and that totally changed my mind, totally changed my world. It's like, wow, you can actually um, not work and still get paid more money than the people who are working all these hours at the corporate offices. And that set me on a journey to look for different businesses. I thought about real estate. Uh, I didn't have money, much money back then. And uh, at the same time, I was doing a lot of soul searching, read Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And uh, Jesus Christ is a big part of my life. And after reading the book, I felt like God's purpose for me was to have a positive impact as many lives as possible. And the more I looked at it, uh, the business that would fit that purpose was direct selling. And it was really the only business where I could afford to get started with. I had no business experience. I had a huge desire, but no experience. Never did any marketing or sales before. So I kind of like dove, to make a long story short, I just dove right into it and uh, struggled for many, many months before I had a good breakthrough. Wow. Okay. And were you, looking back at this, would you say that you may have felt like you didn't know what questions to ask and you didn't even know that there were questions to ask? Yeah, I used to think if you do sales, it's all about a smooth talker, right? It's like, I guess that was one of the reasons why I was younger. I could never get any girls. I thought you had to be a smooth talker. And, and, and then when I struggled for months, the big issue was lack of consistency. And uh, I just wasn't consistent and never great creating any momentum. My turning point was I had like a mentor that really pushed me hard and to stay consistent each day on the sales activities. And even though I wasn't good, but if you do something over and over again, you get a little bit better, like maybe 1% better, a little bit better, and you start learning about things, right? I got a book, then I got a book. Uh, first sales book I read was Selling One-on-One -on -one by Zig Ziglar. I learned that, wow, you have to actually ask questions. It's not talking. And uh, yeah, you bring back, a I totally forgot about that, uh, Adam. I forgot that I used to never thought about, now it's so second nature to me, but back then, I would just like talk and never let the other person even say a word. And I thought I was a good salesperson. And obviously I wasn't because I made no sales. What I like to say, and I learned this from somebody myself, is there are things that your prospects will t tell you that they want, things that they'll tell you that they need, which doesn't matter at all unless those happen to be the things that will cause them to respond in the way that you want them to respond. See, we're taught that we're supposed to want certain things. We're supposed to need certain things. So why is it you brought up dating, meeting women, things like that? Why is it that we have our perfect person checklist? We probably even know that person. They may even be somebody we've already met, but we continue to pine after and go after the lying, cheating, loser jerks, complain about them, and then go back for more. Well, you don't really... It's what you respond to. 
Yeah, you don't really know a person until they start talking, right? Like, uh-huh. one of my mentors taught me is like, if for example, you're doing a business lunch, and you, and the other person finishes eating before you do, then you're doing it the wrong way, right? You should be asking the questions, and uh, you should be asking the questions, and they're talking, and you're the one who's eating, 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 and asking open-ended questions. And while they're talking, you really get to understand who the person is and what their pain points are. And you look for things that, ways we can solve that person's problem. Well, with my misophonia, I'm not going to be having any food around when I'm trying to have a conversation that requires <laughs> me to have any effort at all. But I actually understand your analogy perfectly. If you you can measure the rate at which somebody completes their meal by the amount of time they spend blabbing if they have table manners. Yeah, and I think uh, going back to your original question is the first rule is you really have to genuine, sincerely care about others, right? If you genuinely, sincerely care about others and focus your attention on the other person instead of you and what you have to offer, it comes a lot naturally, right? You're going to ask questions. Uh, also, it removes nervousness. This is one something that helped me out. When I first started doing s- selling and prospecting, I used to be very nervous. And the, be, the nervousness came because I was worried about like what people would think of me. Right. So like right now, if I'm talking to you, Adam, I'd be, if I was nervous because I'm worried about oh, what Adam's going to think about me, what are the listeners going to think about me. But if I shifted my attention and focus to really say, hey, let's just give value out there. Share what, just focus on what Adam wants, what his audience wants, just give value. Obviously, once you shift away that attention, the nervousness decreases and you actually become more human. You ask, and the questions a lot of times come naturally. Yeah. Well, for me, for me, it's about what can I do to help shine the spotlight on the intersection of Simon Chan's brilliance and his passion? And when I can figure that part out, which being a trained interviewer, being somebody who's interviewed over 500 people just on this podcast alone. That's not to mention other forms of interviews I've done. That's not to mention the scores of podcasts that I've been a guest on. It's almost second nature to me simply because I've been doing it for so long and had so many experiences with it. But the foundation is still the same. When I take away any concerns about, well, I need to follow a exact formula for how I structure my questions, or I take the exact opposite approach that we see with some podcasts, which is, oh, we're just going to have a conversation. There's no notes, no rules or anything. I don't think the answer to that is either. For me, anyway, it's simply about being focused upon you. So I'm going to ask you a, a question right now. On this episode of the Business Creators Radio Show, who's the most important listener? Most important listener? This episode, right now, who is the most important listener? That's a trick question. Uh, who's the most important listener? Is you, the listener. That's the, Whoever's listening to you right now, you know, you, you get tens of thousands and millions of downloads, right, Adam? Like... Is you, the person who's listening to right now, no one else is more important than you. I love our listeners, but that's not correct. Who is our most important listener? Myself? Yes, you. The guest. Three reasons. Explain that. Explain that, yeah. three, Three reasons. You are the only person who's guaranteed to be here the entire time. 
You're the only person who's guaranteed to be tuned in the, the entire time. You're the only person who's guaranteed for me to have at least some interaction with outside of the interview itself. Fair enough. That's good. I like that. I like that question, Adam. That's, that's a uh, new one. And I've actually been on a lot of different shows. No one has ever asked me that question. That's very good. Yeah. As the guest, you are the most important listener. And I, and I say that with all love, adoration, and respect for the people who tune into our episodes that that is just how it is. That's the only, that's the only person who's guaranteed. Furthermore, aside from me, you have the most influence over whether or not this episode will see the light of day. Talk about pressure. Oh, <laughs> what I mean, what I mean, what I mean by that is you've done a fair amount of podcast episodes. Is it fair to say that some are better than others? Oh, absolutely. You know, and when you said before, uh, the ones that the different structure or the one of no structure. Yeah, my first episodes were because I was so nervous, right? Uh, I had a couple series of questions. I would just go from question, 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 question. And I look back, I'm like, oh my goodness, I was so terrible. And then I think the ones that are the better ones are the ones where once you know, like the questions, you do need a structure, like you said. They're the structure, but then you can weave in and out between those questions. Um, so, yeah, definitely. There's the good ones and bad ones. But that's how we get better. We learn from our mistakes. We learn from when things don't go well. Best part is you can celebrate that. One of the biggest complaints I have, and it's one of the few complaints I have actually, about the availability of what used to be thought of as television programming, where you can buy entire seasons of a show streaming through a streaming service, rather than have to tune in every Tuesday to catch that week's installment or what have you, or buy it on DVDs and have the DVDs, DVDs shipped to you. There's one thing I think a lot of them left out when they made the transition from selling DVDs to offering through live streaming. You remember how you used to order movies and order, order TV shows by season? You get the DVDs in the mail, and there would always be this one disc that had the deleted scenes and the blooper scenes. Yep. Those tend not to make it onto the streaming platforms. Kind of a loss there. Yeah, it is. So same thing applies to your journey is you've evolved as a salesperson, as an entrepreneur, as an interviewer, as a communicator. And your audience will appreciate that. They'll see, wow, this Simon was actually already pretty good back in 2013 or you know, pick a year. And look how far he's come along. Look at all the enhancements he's made to the show. Some of them may begin to try to do funnel hacking on it and determine, okay, so what changes did he make? Because if he made these changes, he probably knows something, and we may want to study whether we should do that ourselves. Absolutely. it's um, and, and I think it's the cool thing is when you look back yourself, too, you realize how much you've grown. Right, right. So what I want to do now is – our title is about why true success is about how often you lose. I'm just going to turn you loose and have you expand on that concept. I think I know where you're going, but I want to hear what you have to say. The first thing that came to mind when you said that is, you know, we've been taught, we've been taught right, and from our surroundings and background, that you either win 
or we lose. And I've been thinking like that for decades. And then I discovered is win and you learn. And when I start thinking about this, what do you mean you win and you learn? Obviously you lose. But you you actually don't learn much when things go well. Right? And if you look back, I think the longer you stay as an entrepreneur, uh, the most painful moments, and I have a quote that says, your worst moments are the raw materials for your future success. Okay, right? I like that. Go ahead. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the terrible time I had in Malaysia or the time when um, I got in big trouble with my business partner, you know, or I made the wrong decisions, right? Because life is about, you know, life, the learning doesn't end when we finish school. It's a nonstop learning. And to accelerate that learning, you have to fail more. I think this is a quote. You fail often and you keep moving forward because every time you fail, you make a mistake. You learn a little bit. Now, it may not be that much. You may be only learning 1%, 2%, but that compounds over time. And, um, yeah, you know, and the, the worst moments when times are stressful, they're bad, looking back, they're always the ones that we're grateful for because those are the ones where we grow the most both internally from our mindset and also strategically. Yeah, I don't want us to get into some celebration necessarily of our less than finest hour. And I don't buy into some of the supposed stories about this, but you raise a very good point that we often learn more through the problems we solve than by celebrating the successes we have. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, that's, that's part of what I picked up and what you said. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think it's not to necessarily celebrate them, but to reflect and learn, learn on them. Right. That's how we, cause whatever journey business journey we're going through, uh, we're venturing through the unknown. You never know what's going to happen. The challenges, one thing's guarantees we're always going to have problems, but it's how you handle those problems that determine your success and how you handle them comes from our experience. Uh, and that experience comes from the challenges, the lessons we learned. Like I remember, uh, like I, I had built a successful, very successful business in the Philippines, uh, which was way, way beyond better than I thought it was. I, I always yeah. say I got lucky from that, right? But that wouldn't have right. happened if it wasn't for my not so successful and the pains and the lessons I learned in Malaysia, which happened two years. So, you know, to make a long story short, um, our company expanded. I was distributing these products and the company expanded in Malaysia. I went there. I made almost every, I was younger. That was back in 2005. I was only an entrepreneur for two years. Never did any international business. Made a ton of mistakes. Uh, but those mistakes helped me prepare much better when we launched in the Philippines in 2009. So that's an example. Right? If it wasn't for the Malaysia experience, the Philippines successes would have happened. Right. Certainly. Certainly. And the fact, and what I'm also getting out of this, I'm picking out some things between the lines, is had you not even tried, obviously it would not have been possible. Absolutely. You know, what are the things that helped me out early on? Yeah, I'm a shy, quiet Asian kid from Brooklyn, New York. I moved to Los Angeles and I didn't, um, I didn't know many people, but I needed a network and need, uh, meet others. So, I started build, doing online marketing way back in early 2004. And I remember at that time, I did uh, Google AdWords when AdWords just started. So I had an idea. And uh, the no idea what I was doing. I just created an account and just did it. At that time, there was no courses. No one's teaching you anything. 
and I spent $100 and was like, no leads. And finally, a lead came in. I still remember the guy. The, the guy was a very generic name, Michael Lee. Okay, whether it was a fake name or real name, I have no idea. I caught a person, and the person says, I'm not interested, and hung up. I was like, wow, that was $100 for that. I could just wow. open the phone book and have got, could have gotten that. But so I, let, me, let, me, for, let me just get this right. You paid for that lead. Yes, I did online advertising for that lead. Hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh huh. And but I kept going because it's a hundred bucks. It takes time to learn. You got to think long term, right? So it ended up being five hundred. I spent five hundred dollars and got ten leads. Now the leads were a little bit better, but 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 see, by this time I knew it was a numbers game. You know, I knew it was a numbers game, so I I just got unlucky. So the five hundred dollars gave me like ten more leads. They they were a little bit better, but some of them were not interested. But I kept going. And within a year and a half, we got it down to 25 cents a lead. And that was like one of the big turning points. But I wouldn't have learned how to make the marketing campaigns better, the keywords, targeting the specific niches, if I hadn't made those mistakes. And I think the reason I'm sharing this is like, if you're starting something new, just stay consistent with it and be patient with yourself. You have to be patient like nothing happens immediately. But also be patient that it takes time to learn. Yeah, that's certainly the case and as i said before the only way you're really going to learn all this is really i mean really discover it is by doing and getting yourself into problem solving type situations that tap into your ingenuity and your creativity and imprint in your brain how to solve these problems how to make these things work. There's lots of stuff I read in books and I understand. And I say, oh, that's really cool. And then I forget about it. But I don't forget about the things that I've taken the time to master, which is why you see so many folks in the entrepreneurial space who truly are self-taught regardless of their, their college education. Yeah. And, and like, doesn't matter what type of courses you take, you know, online programs, nothing beats experience, right? And I think you mentioned something like you read a book, but you forget about it. But when you're working on something, you are consistently focusing your mental energy on that one problem. And then when you keep doing something over and over again, uh, you know, in my book, I talk about consistency creates mastery. You, yeah. You find the little niches, small little things that you would never have learned. Like I recently... I mean, I'm pretty active on Instagram. I do a lot of content there. I learned something that was messing up my live videos. For some reason, I don't know why it's just my account or is it default, but my live videos were not going. But or if I went to the van setting and toggled off my camera and toggled it back on, and all of a sudden that bug went away. Right? It's something simple like that. It was my lives were cut off short. It was like it was buffering, right? And that all that did. Now I don't know if it's, hopefully it doesn't affect your account, Adam, but maybe just my account. But that, the only reason I figured that out is because I go live five days a week, every day at 5.25 a.m. in the morning. I've been doing it for two and a half years, through almost three years now. And I was like, wow, after like 10, 12 days, I was just messing with every setting and I figured it out. And I felt like I was, I was the happiest person in the world. But that's an example of like small little technical things or small little, the way you talk to someone, right? The way you dress like a presentation. You can, when you go deep, I think people in general, they do too much. Do less of more. Do less. Is it less of more? Do more of less, right? Do yeah, more of less. less things. But when you go deeper, instead of going broad and shallow, go deep in one thing. And it goes back to what you said. When you have problems, that's one of the, it's easy to say. But when we have a problem, that's a few times when, hey, we really got to go deep. 
and go more with less and fix that problem. And that's how we get those lessons from. Yeah, agree, agreed entirely. So you've created something, Simon, called the consistency system, uh, which has to do with how you can improve your sales and overall business success without making alterations to your business plan. I may have follow-ups on this, but first of all, tell me about how that works. I think consistency, um, it's like a hot word. We all know it's important, but sometimes it's not. Consistency, doing the same thing, doing it every day, doing (laughs) it at 525 a.m., making sure you do your 50 burpees. Okay, yeah, go on. Yeah, it's not easy, right? So the reason I wrote this book is it's something that a lot of people struggle with, but if you apply these seven components, anyone can be consistent. So just a real quick Number the first component is you have a checklist, and there, and but by the way, the reason there's a system is people. I see a lot of people they set goals and they miss their goals, right? Some miss by a lot, and the reason why one of the main reasons why people fail on their goals is no there's no consistency system behind it, right? And if you achieve the goal, like Adam, you just choose many goals. I'm sure you you probably weren't aware, but you applied all seven of these components. Right. And I look back to my successes and my failures. Every time I reach a goal, I had all these check marked. The ones that times I missed, and especially I missed badly, I missed many of these components. So the first component is you have a checklist. Right? And, and you can apply this to exercising or whatever thing you want to do. You, number one is you have to have a checklist of what specifically you need to do. So if you wanted to, like for example, when I uh, was expanding to the Philippines market, I had a specific checklist of what I had to do that was different from my normal business I was running in the U.S. Now, you got to be very clear on that. Uh, number two is you have to create and schedule the time. We all have big goals as entrepreneurs, but we're not getting not even one extra second to work on those goals. Now, we always like, right. oh, I want to achieve this. So you got to really create and schedule the time by, number one, by dropping a few things and really put in the calendar say, this is my calendar. This is what I have to do at this time hour as non-negotiable. And the only way you set that, the only way you can achieve whatever the checklist is you set time aside. Because otherwise, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have so many distractions and things, fires you have to fight uh, that they just always, you know, that the day just goes by so quickly and the day's over and you haven't worked towards that goal. So you have to create and schedule the time. It could be as little as 15, 30 minutes or two hours, but you got to budget that time. A uh, third component is you have to have a strategy. So this basically determines how, what's your checklist. Like when I went to the Philippines, I was, hey, I was doing Facebook ads, right? After ads, then I would do a Skype call. This was back in 2009 before Zoom, a Skype yeah. call. After Skype call, then if the person didn't have internet, then we'll do some email back and forth, connect with the person on Facebook so I'll get to know them. And then when I travel there, I'll set up meetings. These are the people who will be attending my presentations, my sales presentations. So you got to have a strategy. Component number four is you have to choose your environment. Environments like, you know, we operate well in certain uh, environments. Like if you want to exercise you, and consistently, going to the gym is a much better environment than at your home, right? It's the same thing. So for me, when I do creative work, uh, I have a beautiful home office where I am at, but I find myself, I can't do much good creative work here. But once I walk around the neighborhood with my dog, in order ideas come. Or I meditate in my backyard, the environment. And that actually conditions, every time I'm in my backyard sitting there, it's a condition, it's a mental trigger right? that gets me to go and work on creativity. Uh, I talk about this in the book, music is a big part of it, that we always play a song that 
if, you know, we always have a song that gives us goosebumps, right? Or brings us back to our high school days. And so choose a song that once you play that, it will condition you to do a certain task. Kind of like the dogs, right? If you play a certain bell, the dog will do something. You play the same song. So for me, before I speak, I play the same song before I speak. And once I play that song, and that song is ACD3, uh, Thunderstruck. Like, I played it before here because I'm still nervous. I've done so many shows. I'm like, oh my goodness, Adam, what's he going to ask me? How's the show like? I play that song that fires me up, and I go. Right? So the environment is important. Uh, the component number five is using is tracking. You have to be tracking how well you're doing according to, to on your checklist. How well you're doing. There's a lot of sales numbers, analytics you need to track. Number six is using tools. You know, have to use the appropriate tools for what you want to achieve. Whether it's just simple, like a calendar, and another simple tool is a is a timer. A timer is because we operate best on urgency. It's very easy to spend wasting all this time checking emails or checking messages. So set a timer. Every time I check messages, like I set a ten minute timer. All right, in ten minutes, I gotta get all these emails done, and then I'm not allowed to touch it anymore. And then I work on my main task. And then maybe like two hours later, I set another 10, 15 minutes to check emails. Uh, so tools. And then the last, uh, the last component, Adam, is accountability. We all need accountability. right? If you, it's like you don't feel like going to work out, but you're meeting a friend in the gym, you probably show up. And for me, I've had accountability. I've been blessed to have accountability all these years. Uh, one of my best friends now, he's a CEO of a company. We have a monthly accountability. And on the accountability, we follow the simple format. We always provide value. Take something I've learned. Uh, could be, hey, I, I was on your show, Adam. I'm going to share this experience. What did I learn from it? Always provide some value to the other person. Then you let them know what's up, and then you ask for help. And it's a very structured call, and we've been doing that for eight years so with my friend Dave. And uh, so those are the seven components. Like That's what basically what the consistency pill my book is about. If you apply only seven of these, and think about how it applies to your business, you will increase your sales and transform your business. Yeah, and some of what you're describing here when it comes to these, these components are not exactly earth-shattering things. I did a whole training around how some of the tactics that I use to increase my productivity. Is, as you said, we don't get additional time during the day. Everybody has the same 24 hours to indulge that cliche for a moment. But I've discovered that some of my success opportunities come from how I strategically allocate energy. Like one of the things I've recognized, and this is backed up by scientific studies, by the way, is let's say I'm in the middle of being productive and I my phone rings and I say, oh, I'll take this call real quick. And it's not somebody who's already given me a gob of money and the call is not about that thing I'm working on for them right now. Why the hell else would I take that call at that moment? Because what it's going to do, it's going to break my concentration, break my stride. And after this quick call I grabbed real quick ends, science tells me it's going to take me 23 minutes and 15 seconds back by studies to get refocused on what I was doing beforehand. In reality, I could be done for the rest of the day. Yep. And I can, and, and to demonstrate that, I can couple that with studies that have been done of knowledge workers in cubicle environments. They 
work their eight to five and they have their mandated hour for lunch and their two 15 minute breaks. And otherwise they got to sit in this cubicle and blah, 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 blah. So out of the time that they're there, which if you listen to that, if you saw everything I just described, seven and a half hours of that time per day is supposed to be productive and value adding to the company. I synthesized the results of three different studies and I came up with two hours and 53 minutes being the average amount of time that an employee in that type of environment spends every day that actually adds value to the company. That's five hours wasted. Yeah. What are they doing? What are they doing during that time? Sitting in pointless meetings, dealing with bullshit office politics, having to make sure that they answer their phone on the second ring and, uh, and make sure they call back promptly if they were on the phone or away from their desk and, and, and making sure to include all kinds of niceties and emails because so-and-so has some big title and we have to follow. Give me a fucking break. All that's doing is costing the company five hours per day per employee. And it has to do with misuse of energy. Now, when I applied that to myself, I discovered that I have a different energy for creativity. I have a different energy for networking. I have a different energy for production. I have a different energy for learning. So I implemented two, th- three things. Number one, all my calls are scheduled, no matter what. There is no such thing as I pick up the phone real quick. Unless you are a client who has given me money to do something, and at that moment, I'm working on the thing that you paid me for. That's the only, that's the only exception. And that usually comes in the form of they have my Skype and they type in Skype. Got a sec? That's number one. Number two is I only take calls two and a half days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Friday morning. I need, I have at least two days in there during the standard work week that I don't have any interaction with anybody. These can be entire days that I lose the world and go into a trance-like level of focus that leads to productivity, that gets balls rolling on new clients, new prospects, new opportunities, new partnerships. But I'm not actually speaking with anybody during those days, and I don't schedule anything. And the third is that those different energies I just described, I find them in different places. So during the day, I physically move often between three or four different locations. It's a combination of changing the environment and the kinetic energy that comes from the movement that allows me to access different areas of my energy and apply those where they're optimized to cover more ground. That's just me. Yeah, I love that. You know, we're very similar. Um, Like when I read, I can't read in the office, but I read very well in my car. I just go to my driveway and I read. Uh, Yeah. I I also... Don't take my phone is on twenty four seven. Do not disturb. And the only people that can get through is uh, my wife and my mom and my brother, and no yeah. one. Uh, and then my right hand man can get get, get through. Uh, but like I said, most people if they need uh, coaching clients, uh, they will send me a text message, and I maybe check my messages once a month, uh, once a week. No, not once a week. Sorry, once an hour. I wish it was once a week. Once an hour. And the other thing is uh, just similar like you. I do not take any phone calls before one p.m. Because that's my prime. I, I get up I have weird hours. I wake up at 4.45. I do my live video. I do my content creation. And then do exercise. Take my kids to school. I come back. I actually take a nap. 
at nine, is, you may laugh at this, like 9, 15 in the morning, when most people are going to work, I take like a 30-minute nap. And then I'm super ultra-focused from like 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And I never take calls. That's my creative work, sales. The only calls I would do will be sales-generating calls. Sales calls, I take. But any other calls, even with clients, is normally in the afternoon when the mental energy is a little bit lower. That's, that's what I realized. It's like, I need the most mental energy for sales and creativity. And the rest right. of it, I can go on more like an autopilot on. I can still do those calls. So, yeah, I think it's as, one thing I learned from you, though, Adam. You say you have different energy for different uh, different tasks. That's something uh, I learned today. I appreciate that. I'm going to th- start thinking about that. Well, that's the underlying premise of the Business Creators Radio Show is it creates a mastermind experience rather than just a straight-up Q&A. We're covering the points you want me to cover. We're just doing it in a way that allows us to each – be inspirational for ourselves, for each other, and for our mutual listeners. Now, we've covered this idea of consistency, and you gave us seven steps, and that's awesome. We've discovered that the true secret of success often has to do with about how often you lose. And you've also introduced to us the idea that failure is a necessary component of success. So I want to come back to that one and have you share with us, if you may, a few strategies to aid others in celebrating their failures. Great question. So I'm just thinking something that is relevant today would be, all right, so let's talk about the social media. Social media is a big part of it. Uh, One of the quickest and best ways to grow an audience and potential clients, customers, is uh, TikTok videos or Instagram Reels. Right. And, I, and let's talk about Instagram Reels for, because that's the one I, I focus mostly on. And I think if the first time you do a Reel, it may be a total disaster, right? Uh, technically, you have technical challenges. Uh, I've created one, and then all of a sudden, Instagram lost it. That was painful. But I think if you do one and the engagement is not there, you re- instead of saying, oh, this doesn't work, you have to see that why does it not work, right? Is it because that's the type of content that your audience, your target audience, your market wants? Uh, are you using the wrong type of music? Uh, are you, did you Maybe you just chose a trending song that is one of the hottest songs now, but your target market is not into that type of music. So, for example, I actually have multiple Instagram accounts. I created an Insta- Instagram account to market my son. So my son is, uh, some people may think it's crazy, but he's 11. He's a very good baseball player and Southern California, and almost all the top players, they have these Instagram accounts for marketing purposes and for recruiting to high school and maybe potentially college, right? So I created, I just noticed that the songs that are recommended for him are very different from my songs. Uh, like Instagram would just automatically recommend something, and I just did a reel. He doesn't have many, he doesn't have many followers, like 300. He just did a reel with 11,000, 11,000 reach within less than an hour. It was like 9,000 reach. It's gone up to 11,000 now. But so I'm yeah. sharing that with you. And I've done reels where they got like 200 people or 100 people in the first 30 minutes. A total disaster and bombs, right? But I learned yeah. that because I was choosing the wrong song. So I saw a trending song, but it's trending, but not, but may not be for my target audience. All right, so think about the content you're creating. Just because you see an influencer, wow, if that worked really well, you copy it. And I, I recommend people, when you first start off, you copy you can, that's how you learn. There's a great book called Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon. I read that back in 2012. You can read it in less than an hour. It's so fun to read, but like nothing is really original, 
right? You basically copy and over time you develop your own style. Like my podcast was definitely, it's not original. It was a copy from some other podcast. But then over time I realized for my niche, I changed a few things. Start off with, with social media, copy someone you look up to, and then you realize, hey, this doesn't work, this works. You make a couple of tweaks, and a couple of tweaks here, a couple of tweaks there, and then you get better and better. And then to, you know, to make it a constant game that never ends, is they're always changing the algorithm anyway. Right, so, um, but I guess that's in a nutshell, Adam. Go out there and start doing it. And uh, and if you're, whatever you want to do, I talk about this, consistency beats intensity, right? Some people are like, oh, I want to go, people want to go from zero to hero. That never happens. Focus on the small little improvements. Do your first Instagram reel, find out how well it does. If it doesn't, look at your competitors. What are they doing? And you make little adjustments. So anyway, those are a couple of lessons I've learned. I started doing reels consistently about like a year ago. Made a ton of mistakes. Things that went great, the things that didn't go well. I just did one two days ago that went pretty well. I did one yesterday that didn't go well. And I'm like, now I'm going back and what did I do wrong? What could I be do doing better? Maybe it's a better filter. Maybe it's a better action shot. Maybe shorter clips. Um, and maybe you, if you're listening to this, you're not actually doing it. You, are, you have a staff that's doing it for you. Then see what they're doing, Right? Think about, look at what, look at the mistakes and what can you learn from the mistakes, right? Go look at your analytics and a lot of times, the tra- like I said, the tracking, the numbers will tell you what's going on. Well, there's something else to, there's something else to consider here, Simon. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that I uh, urge people to keep in mind is that, hang on one second here, I want to make sure I'm not having a connection problem. Hang on. Good. Oh, you can hear me. Okay. Yeah, no, great. Okay, Zoom's just being weird. Okay, 10 seconds. Okay, quick pause so I can recover that. Wow, Simon, that's really fantastic. And I take this one step further. You mentioned that there's really not a whole lot out there that's new or original. And I candidly believe that there's basically nothing new under the sun. A lot of what's new is actually something old that has become new again. And things that are supposedly innovated for the first time are adaptations of applications that existed for other purposes. So put all that together. And what we find is that one way we can stand out, whether if we're in the podcasting world, whether we're hosts or we're guests, even in our marketing, our branding, and our communications, is to become memorable as an in-demand expert through tactics including alliter- including acronyms and alliteration. And I put that under the name it and claim it paradigm. I have been saying for years that there's something that a lot of us have in our businesses, and if you have it in your business, Get rid of it because you don't need it. You don't want it. It's holding you back. And what is this thing that we need to get rid of? Traffic to your website. Like, what the hell do you want traffic to your website for? People look at me like I have three heads. Well, I've tested this. I spoke at an event just a couple months ago. It was the ultimate speaker competition in Las Vegas. I shared this question from stage. And then I did call and response with the audience asking them to define what is traffic? What is a website? And for all this 
stuff we're hearing about traffic to your website. Get more traffic to your website. What you need is traffic to your website. You're not going to make sales unless you get traffic to your website. You got to run ads to get traffic to your website. Almost 100 people in a room and nobody could define those terms. So what the hell do we need them for if we can't even define them? What I urge people to do is to seek visitors to their web pages who align with the three P's of website conversions. That's pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped. So you see the combinations of acronym and alliteration. And what I'm doing here is I'm using a combination of contrarianism, provocation marketing, and reframing to simply adjust the vocabulary around an existing conversation, making myself the preeminent, if not the only person saying it. Now, does that sound different from traffic your website? Yeah, I, I, I make, like. Does it make you pause? No, I love what you're saying. I love, I love, I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, well, I, love, I love what you're saying because yeah. think about the, the average person, maybe not entrepreneur, not entrepreneur, but the average people. How much time do they spend on websites nowadays? Versus how much time are they spending on social media, right? Now, the website is important. I love what you said. They're pre-qualified and pumped, right? Pre-qualified, pre prepped, and pumped. I, yeah. I made up this alliteration. You will get it right. <laughs> pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped. That's Thank the you. person you want on your website, right? But yeah. for first first exposure, they're not going to because ultimately people buy you. Right, there's always like people buy you that you're selling. People buy you because they know you, like you, and trust you, and that's where the social media comes in. But ultimately, the conversion, yes, comes from the website, and you want them to be pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped. I love it. That is absolutely a great repeating back of what I've said to me. So I've gone on to say that getting listeners and downloads for your podcast is utter bullshit that will destroy your show. Well, that opens a conversation about defining what a listener or a download actually is, and then takes it one step further in looking at, are these real listeners and downloads? Are they actually listening? Are they actually downloading? Or are these simply numbers generated by clicks? If they are downloading and listening, are they paying attention? Is the message translating? And are they the people who ideally should be hearing it in the first place? See, we can peel back a lot of layers on this and move the idea of listeners and downloads from being a vanity metric to something that systematically and scientifically serves your business interests. I agree. Good stuff. Yeah. And you do. And you actually, I bring this up because you do some of the same thing actually it's a it's a similar combination when you say as we are discussing today that true success is about how often you lose absolutely if you look at any uh what's this there's a lot of these quotes like you can tell a champion by how he practice in the ring how many scars they have yeah right? because if someone and there sometimes you see someone quote unquote successful they don't have much failures, but they get lucky. Once in a while, you can get lucky. But generally, those type of people, they got successful. They got lucky by being successful without any failures. They normally lose that success right away. The first time some uh, challenge they bump into, they lose it right away. They lose it all. Yeah, I, I, follow, I follow you. Now, 
as we wrap up here, and I know we have a few minutes left, you also share with us that purpose is greater than money. And you have some insights on why business plans built on the premise of profit alone do not succeed. This may be kind of a wrap-up question, but let's go with it. Well, I think, you know, we all know money, right? Money is good, but there is a certain amount. Once you pass a certain threshold, it doesn't make you more happier, right? Like Elon Musk, right? What's driving him? He has all the money in the world, right? More money is not going to make him happy. What makes him fulfilled and success, the definition of success is not how much money you make. It's how fulfilled and happy you are, right? As you got about fulfillment, happy, and health. Those are the three things that would define success. Is driven by your purpose. Because once you get a certain amount in your business, like if, you, you know, if you're happy with $1 million a year or you're happy with just even, say, 100000 a year, your side gig, making an extra 200 150 doesn't add extra happiness. The fulfillment and the success comes from your purpose, right? We're driven by purpose. And if you're driven by money, you get burnt out. You get, oh, do I really need to work hard and to do, the, do this? Do I really go need to push myself and you know, overcome these challenges and failures and to persist? If it's for money, most of us will probably not. It's the purpose. It's the greater meaning, creating a legacy in this world, uh, being remembered for doing something good. That's what ultimately drives us. And that's why it's more important than money. Because money goes, normally, they last for the short term. They don't last in the long term. And if you're not thinking long term for the business, often, you know, the business doesn't last. It's the purpose that drives every successful entrepreneur. Well, there's bifurcation here. And I agree with what you're saying. I'm recalling a time, this is back when I was in MBA school. And the professor asked the class, what is the purpose of a business? And I said, the purpose of a business is to make money. And he actually thought he was somehow winning my heart by pausing the class for five minutes to make fun of me and tell me that was the stupidest thing he'd ever heard. And it's definitely, that's like saying that you live to breathe. Well, damn it. If you don't breathe, you're going to die. Just like a business. It doesn't have money. It's going to go bankrupt. An employee, a contractor, a team member who's not getting their lower to middle Maslow's hierarchy needs met is not going to be effective and invested in the success of that business. They're not going to be bringing to the plate everything they can for that business, for their employer, for their clients or what have you, if they're spending half the day trying to find cash infusions to pay their damn rent. It's just not happening. In fact, they're going to look at their employer, their client, and say, gee, you know, if only you paid me enough that I wouldn't have to worry about rent. Screw you. So yeah, money's important. And if you have people who feel financially secure, like they have real opportunities to make a difference and to achieve, to me, that clears the path and opens up the passion and the purpose. So I believe that these two things kind of work together. We can't ignore money because, I mean, I don't, I don't do this 70 hours a week because I don't want to get paid. You're damn right I'm getting paid for this. Uh, at the same time, I can also tell you, to your point, that there have been cases where I've been involved in projects, I've been involved in businesses and been involved with clients where I hated them so much that when I sat back and envisioned the future, 
of those ventures or of my involvement, all I saw was a blank screen. Hmm. So I think the two kind of go together. Yeah. To summarize where I'm going with this, I believe it's the case that money can't buy happiness. That being said, I will much sooner cry in a Corvette than on the back of a bicycle in a rainstorm. That's true. As long as your basic needs are met. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's sad how many businesses, how many opportunities don't even give the people involved the opportunity to get those needs met. And then we expect loyalty, fidelity, dedication, longevity. I don't think so. I don't think so one bit. So if I can't even see my purpose because I'm worried about my rent, then profits, you can say the profit alone is never going to, will never succeed. Well, profit's never going to happen because you're going to miss that, miss out on that buy-in. So what I want to do here, and again, I'm so appreciative of you is as we wrap up here, I do want to point out to our listeners that you have a book called The Consistency Pill. And you can learn about that book at www.consistencypill.com. It actually gets into your seven-step system for increasing sales and transforming your business in detail. And it also, uh, if you order it through certain outlets, I believe it comes with a, it comes with a workbook and, uh, and other assets. So I do encourage everybody to check that out. Go to www.consistencypill.com. And get this book. I'm probably going to buy it myself just because constant pursuit of knowledge and opening yourself to the aha moment, the something you think you know everything about, just seeing a new point of view can open up the floodgates to something you didn't even see as possible up until that moment. That's my final thought. Simon, I'd like to give you a moment to leave our audience with a final thought. After they finish streaming this in about 90 seconds, if they can do one thing today to move themselves forward, what would you suggest they do? Hey, Adam, thank you for having me on the show. If there's one thing they should do, take a look at you know, the seven components I talked about. Checklist, create the time, create and schedule the time, determine strategy, choose your environment, track whatever you need to track, use tools, and get accountability. To whatever business you go, you have, business goals, targets you want to have, make sure you have those seven components in place, and then that will help you increase your sales and transform your business. So anyway, Adam, I appreciate you having me on here. Love to, if your listeners want to connect with me, you can always find me on social media, Simon W. Chan on Facebook or Simon W. Chan on Instagram, and i uh, love to continue conversation over there. But thank you, Adam, for having me, and um, I love your show. Keep up the great work. Simon Chan, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.